WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart, live from the WNYC studio in Soho. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. I'm really grateful you're here. On today's show, we're talking music of the past, present, and future. You know Josh Radner as an actor from the TV, as well as a new play at the Public Theater, but he's also a musician, and he has a solo debut album out. We'll hear from Josh and some of his music. And we're launching our annual Public Song Project, and we'll talk about how you can participate. We'll also also hear from a musician who is participating one, Arturo O'Farrell, and learn about the musical history of the 1920s from musicologist and author Anna Chilenza. And we'll hear how artists are taking inspiration from one of the from one of the most influential pieces of music created in that decade. Artists like Laura Downs and the artistic directors of the orchestral collective called The Knights, who are launching a multi-year series called The Rhapsody Project in honor of the hundredth centennial of Rhapsody in Blue. Blue. And that is where we start the show today with a celebration of the Gershwin classic, but with a twist and a twang. At the recent Grammy Awards, banjo virtuoso Bella Fleck earned his 16th and 17th Grammys for Best Contemporary Instrumental Album and Best Global Music Performance. Now, in a new project, Fleck turns his sights to his hometown, New York City, and the music of George Gershwin. Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue premiered today, February 12th, 1924, at the Aeolian Hall in Manhattan. Hastily written a month before its premiere, it has become an American classic, celebrated for its blending of traditional European classical and new American jazz music. Out today for the Rhapsody Centennial, Bella Fleck is releasing an album titled Rhapsody in Blue with several versions of the piece, including its opening track, Rhapsody in Bluegrass, a rootsy riff on the composition featuring Bella and his bluegrass band. To mark the release, we're excited to share an exclusive solo performance of the tune from Bella Fleck right here from the WNYC studios. Here's Bella Fleck with Rhapsody in Blue. Thank you. 
thank you so much for being here, first of all. My pleasure. Good to be with you. When do you remember developing an appreciation for Rhapsody in Blue? Well, it all started when I was very young, and I got to go to the Thalia movie theater, which was on, uh, uh, let's see, it was on 95th Street between Broadway and and West End, Mm -hmm. five blocks from where I grew up, and um, they had played old movies there, and um, I got to see the Rhapsody in Blue movie. My uncle Steve took me there, and it blew my mind, you know, at that age, I'm not exactly sure what year it was, but I was definitely in the age group where you could really have a quite an experience seeing something like that you'd never seen before. I'd never mm. really heard an orchestra before. The story of George Gershwin in that movie. Was that bio, a biopic? Is that what they call it? A biopic? Biopic. 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 We'll go for about either one. Yeah. So it tomato, was tomato. very <laughs> romantic, you know, and sad when he mm-hmm. died. And, uh, and then as time went on, um, I discovered he actually lived right around the corner from where I lived a few years later. And he became part of the New York gestalt as years mm-hmm. went on. Um, so this was before I even played the banjo. Wow. Right. So I just loved it. I just, just loved the piece, loved his story. And um, he was a hero around, uh, still around the Upper West Side, uh, you know, in the community mm-hmm. and musicians and people that I knew. Um, and and my, my, I guess my family, my uncle was a big, big fan of his, too, uh, Steve Rose and my uncle. So, yeah, then I learned to play the banjo in, when I was around 15. And when I was a senior um, uh, at Music and Art High School up on 135th Street, um, they played that piece for the semi-annual, the final performance of the of the school mm. year, and two different pianists played it, and I got to play banjo in the uh, in the orchestra, which was just the strum part, you know, that that was there in the original performance. But I, I was lusting after that piano part. At this point, I was playing the banjo quite a lot, and I was really curious about all the music that was in that piano part. It was just it just blew my mind. I loved it. That was my next question. Yeah. When did you start to appreciate the musicianship of Rhapsody in Blue? I think it was, you know, one of my first great musical experiences seeing that movie. Even though seeing it now, it's so stylized, and if you, if you ever get a chance to watch it, it's really funny how they shot the orchestra piece. But um, it was very romantic, and the music was the hero. You know, George was the hero, of course, but so was the music, and uh, so that that was the the first time. But uh, every time I heard it, I was knocked out by it. And even after I left New York and started trying to make a career playing banjo music, I would occasionally check in with that piece. And, uh, mm-hmm. and listen to it and go, yeah, it's still great. I still love that piece. And uh, and then fast forward to pandemic times, and um, I had a, uh, you know a lot of time on my hands, and I started exploring mm-hmm. what would it be like to try to actually play the piano part, which was clearly going to be impossible and is impossible because a pianist has ten fingers they can play with at the same time. I've got three that pluck. Mm-hmm. They have you know the whole piano to play. And there's just a lot of things that are just impossible to play on the banjo the way you could play it on the piano. But there are things you can play and ways to make it work. And I always like to try to figure out how to make things work. What was the first step to making it work? What was the first I sort of the, big leap you had to take? Well, I mean, there's a first entrance when the piano comes in, um, very short. And that was the first thing. It was like, mm-hmm. can I play that? And then when I figured out how to play that after a week or so, a couple of weeks, what, what, what tuning do I need to be in? Do I need to change the key pitch of the mm-hmm. banjo? I finally found a, a setting where it seemed possible. And then once I had the first couple of measures, the first few bars, um, I was like, well, that's possible. Let's see what happens next. And I just started working my way through the piece, kind of a measure at a time in no hurry, with never really expecting it to all work out. I figured I was going to hit a roadblock at a certain point that was mm-hmm. going to go, oh, can't do that can't do this piece but until that happened i was going to keep on 
you know, exploring measure by measure, trying to figure out how to do it. And then I did so many rewrites of the banjo part as I figured out what was possible. And the first draft was unplayable because I was trying to do so much of the piano part. It was not actually physically playable. But um, I just kept on simplifying um, slowly because I didn't want to lose anything I didn't have to lose. And as I got to know it, I got to where uh, it was viable, a version of it. Mm. <laughs> you mentioned the obstacles. Yeah. What was one of the obstacles and how did you get around it? Um, well, range. Like mm-hmm. sometimes uh, you can play the melody in a position, but you can't play the counterparts. And then you have to decide, can the melody be on the bottom and the counterparts be on the top or in the middle? Or or uh, what, what do I have to lose here? Um, some things are just... Um, start at the bottom of the piano and work themselves all the way up to the top of the piano I don't have that range Mm -hmm. I've got uh, you know three octaves basically to work with but I was encouraged by the fact that there had been so many different versions of Rhapsody over the years and even um you know, there was a harmonica version that a guy named Larry Adler did. And a harmonica was, version? Yeah. He'd go out and play it with orchestras, and and, mm-hmm. um, and and Gershwin liked it quite. He was fond of it, and, and the piece had been done so many different ways. I also had a secret weapon, which is that my, my wife, Abigail, went to— Washburn. Uh, Washburn, yeah. <laughs> uh, she went to a high sc- uh, college at Colorado College, and there was a fellow there named Ryan Banalay. Or Ryan Banali. Mm-hmm. I always say it wrong. But anyway, sorry, Ryan. <laughs> but he wrote a book about this piece. And so when Abby did the commencement speech at her school and I met him, he gave me this book. It's called uh, Arranging Gershwin. And it's kind of the history of the piece and how it was written. And then after he passed, how the, the history of the piece after he left. And it's one of the most rearranged, redone pieces in the classical repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a certain license there to explore it and try, try different things. Also, you know, like by then, Marcus Roberts had done a, a very jazz ver- version of it. And gosh, if you're on a, a United airplane, you might see an oh, oompa version yes, of you it, do. which I kind of wish wasn't <laughs> true. But, but uh, you know, there it is. I'm speaking to Bella Fleck about his new album, Rhapsody in Blue, featuring ver- new versions of George Gershwin's composition. The piece turns 100 today. Rhapsody in Bluegrass? <laughs> Sorry. When did that come to you? I still feel bad about that one. <laughs> uh, well, it occurred to me um, just, yeah, I, I, I just, I cringe even thinking about it. I mean, it, it was, I cringed thinking about it, and I cringed when I called up Brian Sutton, the guitar player, and said, would you come over and try this idea with me and see what you think? And he came over, and we started playing, and I stopped cringing. It was like, well, this sounds cool. I, I actually mm-hmm. think this is actually good. One of the problems is Rhapsody is only about 18 minutes long, the, the orchestra version. So what was going to go on this record? Mm-hmm. And how was I going to get it out in time for, for the anniversary, which was really important to me, even just for my own personal sure. reasons. I wanted to get it out on the 100th anniversary. So so I'm only up to 18 minutes on this record. What Now what am I going to do? So. I started I, I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, you know, Earl Scruggs was born within a few weeks of of the premiere, a uh, hundred year his his hundred hundred year birthday. Mm-hmm. Well, he was he was born on uh, January sixth, uh, nineteen twenty four. Um, Rhapsody was premiered on the February twelfth mm-hmm. of twenty four. So for some reason, that kind of gave me some some extra firepower and license to explore this idea because they were happening kind of in, you know the same world, mm-hmm. same same airspace, at least. 
So anyway, we tried it out um, and um, taught it to this great band with Sierra Hull and Michael Cleveland, Brian Sutton, Mark Schatz, and Justin Moses, and came up with a good version of it. And now we were still only up to 30 minutes of music, which still felt kind of short. And at that <laughs> point, I was starting to scramble for like the clock was ticking down and how was I going to get it? It wasn't just that. The creative side was also very important to me. Sure. So then um, the idea of exploring what kind of a blue, is there a blues version of this that would be fun, that would be, you know, because um, by this point I was kind of proud of the bluegrass version because it sounded like such a horrible idea. The fact that it actually sounded good was a success. Yeah. You know, I love when people have low expectations. I mean, that's <laughs> been my whole career. You know, it's like, oh, jazz on a banjo, horrible idea. Oh, it's okay. Until it's not. It doesn't suck. It does just has to not suck if I do. It doesn't actually have to be good. It just has to not really suck. So um, I think you're selling yourself short. So but. the bluegrass version didn't suck. So I was pretty thrilled. And and then I started trying to think about this blues version and tried some different ideas and finally settled in on doing it with Jerry Douglas and Sam Bush, who are my old pals, but they're really blues guys. And then Victor Wooten came in and played electric bass on it, too, from the Flectones, and we came up with a, a, a different way to look at it. So when I started out, I was really trying to play the piece. I didn't want to—I wanted to play with an orchestra and play the piano part and play what was written, what was mm-hmm. created by George Gershwin, and I didn't want it to be a bluegrass orchestra thing. But once that was done, um, with the bluegrass version and the blues version, I felt a lot of freedom to try stuff and explore and mess with it. And so I'm glad that happened because otherwise I would have, you know, if I had done, for instance, another classical work or even yeah. written a concerto to go with it, um, I wouldn't have explored the piece as much as I, as I got to. Well, let's hear that Rhapsody in Blues. Let's play it. My guest is Bella Fleck. We're talking about his new album, Rhapsody in Blue, featuring different versions like this one, Rhapsody in Blues, on the 100th anniversary of the song. What do you think these variations of Rhapsody in Blue reveal about the original version and about the composition? Uh, I think it just reveals that he wrote some great tunes. I mean, I think George Gershwin, first and foremost, just wrote great tunes. Mm. And also, I love the do-it-yourself thing about George Gershwin that he was a guy who was like uh, you want a ba- piano concerto um, I, th- I think I can do that blah 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 three <laughs> weeks later Rhapsody in Blues you know a concerto in F uh, you needed he wanted to write something that incorporated jazz and black music oh I'll, I'll go down to you know Charleston and study it a little and check out the scene and mm-hmm. come back with you know with this piece or with Porgy and Bess or things like that um pop songs and it was just like to tell me what you want I'll do it I can do anything I think he was very confident and very able Mm. Um, but he also did it his own way 
And so he's one of those those guys. And I relate to that because with the banjo, there's a lot of areas that haven't been mapped or ha- it hasn't been played in certain situations. I have to figure it out. I'm always trying to figure it out. And I try to be confident that it'll work out. And often it does. And you, But you have to believe. Mm-hmm. You have to just kind of go, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to figure it out. And you figure out something. Yeah, the not knowing how to do it is how you figure it out. Right, but it also it's creates... a trial and error. Exactly, but it also creates a different final product than a person. If you say, let's get someone to write a concerto, when you get someone who writes concertos all day long, then it's going to be mm-hmm. more of the type of concerto we expect to hear. But if you get someone who's never done one, they may do something that is a little different, and it'll have strengths and weaknesses based on that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, that's my world, and I'm usually trying to figure that out. And I win and lose uh, f- because of that. You're listening to my conversation with Bela Fleck about his new album, Rhapsody in Blue, which is out today on the 100th anniversary of the premiere of Gershwin's original. After the break, Fleck will play an unrecorded and unreleased Gershwin composition written specifically for, wait for it, banjo, which Bela Fleck discovered in the Library of Congress archives. This is all of it. This is all of it from WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Today is the 100th anniversary of the premiere of Rhapsody in Blue right here in New York City. And to mark the centennial, banjo virtuoso Bella Fleck is releasing an album of new variations on the composition. The album also features other work by Gershwin, including a piece written for banjo, never before recorded or released. Here's more of my conversation with Bella Fleck. The album features a piece titled Unidentified, which George Gershwin wrote for the banjo. Where did this composition come from? What condition was it in when you found it? Yeah, so my friend uh, uh, and Abby's uh, school partner, uh, uh, Ryan, came to the the rescue here. Um, He came to Nashville where we did the first premiere of, of me playing Rhapsody with the orchestra. And um, and afterwards we were talking, and, and again he's the person who gave me the, who wrote the book about Rhapsody, and mm-hmm. um, he asked me what else are you going to do with the piece, you know, and I told him about the bluegrass version, and I was thinking about the blues version, and I I, I had been thinking also about um, some solo piano stuff of Gershwin's, including um, Rialto Ripples, mm-hmm. which I also ended up recording, just really cool solo piano music, very much in a ragtime kind of world. Right, um, and uh, and so anyway, he he thought about that, and um, a, f- a few weeks later, he got in touch with me. He said, "Hey, I was uh, s- snooping around the Library of, Conver- of Congress, and I found a, a Gershwin banjo tune, and and so what it was was um, one page of music, handwritten by George Gershwin, uh, no chords written in, just the single lines, uh, occasional chords written mm-hmm. in, in the second." part where he wanted particular voicings, but he knew what chords were, so he didn't need to write them down, um, except in these spots. And it was just basically a, a, a simple ragtime tune with a couple of Gershwin-y quirks. Let's hear it. You're going to perform it for us. All right. Let's see how I do. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was Unidentified by George Gershwin, performed by Bella Fleck. It's on his new album, Rhapsody in Blue. Before your performance, you mentioned Rialto Ripples, a ragtime piece that Gershwin composed in 1916 for piano. What made you want to record this one? Oh, I just liked it. It, it was just, uh, sometimes you hear a piece uh, and, and you go, I'd like to know how that works. I'd like to be inside mm-hmm. that piece seeing how, how it works. And it was catchy. Yeah, I just liked it. I, sometimes you hear stuff and you go, well, that's nice, but I don't need, I'm not attracted to it. But I was attracted to that one right from the beginning. And I'm pretty sure my uncle sent me that one first, my Uncle Steve. Uncle Steve. Yeah. All comes back to Uncle Steve. Steve and Ryan. <laughs> Steve this and should Ryan. Be, uh, yeah, should dedicate it to those guys. It is. Well, let's hear Rialto Ripples. that it sounds like he's talking to you. He's yeah. telling you a story. I'm not sure what the story is, but I'm enjoying it. Well, good. Do you good. know? Do you know? I'm understand glad. what I mean? When you hear the, when you're listening to it, I'm like, oh. And he's just finished that sentence, and he started the next sentence, and now he's telling me the funny part. And now, oh wait, we're gonna slow down and get some backstory here. I'm with you. And sometimes people um, who play piano well will rush through the pieces, and and the story aspect doesn't always come through, but that's a mark of a great pianist at whatever speed that it it, it comes through. I, I was looking this up while we were listening mm-hmm. to, um, because he co-wrote it with somebody and sometimes we forget that um, that was a co-write with someone named Will Donaldson. Hmm. Um, so, um, But yeah, I didn't know any of this music. If you were, Again, if you're a pianist, you would know you know all this all this rep and and have had a chance to you know get it under your fingers. But for me, it was new, and I think I played it slower than most people play it. Like people might go, oh yeah. So yeah. I took it a little bit more evocative, partly because I didn't have as much time to learn it, but partly because I liked it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I also was picturing dancers. I was picturing people in finery. Yeah. Sort of almost like almost like a promenade on a warm day. I don't know. That's where my brain went as I as I hear that track. I'm with you. Today's the 100th anniversary of Rhapsody in Blue, and you're releasing the album today. Is there any plan to perform your album live? Um, I'm going to be playing um, with uh, the Bluegrass Band. Whenever we're out, we play it now. Mm. And it's really fun because nobody expects it. It comes out of nowhere. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, that'll be over now that the record's out. But uh, And then I'm playing with uh, maybe maybe eight or ten symphonies over the course of the year. I'll be playing the piano part, with, uh, including Cleveland, uh, mm-hmm. which is exciting since they're one of the top top cats, but uh, oh, yes. I, I want to play it. In, oh, and then I'll be playing it here in, in New York uh, on the the fourth of uh, May at Carnegie Hall. Uh-huh. Well, there's that. There's that would that. be a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah that Carnegie would be a big Hall. deal. Yeah, or that. Uh, and and the bluegrass band will be there. Oh. When I say the bluegrass, again, I'm talking about these. You know, every mm-hmm. single person in the band should be mentioned every time because they're all stars in their own right. But uh, we'll. Pl- I'm sure we'll be playing it. Um, we'll be playing. Um, the orchestra version with mm-hmm. a, a great orchestra led by uh, Eric Jacobson of, of the Knights and other orchestras. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, and um, 
Bruce Hornsby will be there. We'll be doing some stuff. Zakir Hussein will be there. Annette Cohen will be there, and we'll be doing some duets of different kinds. But the big thing is, is Rhapsody and the excitement of getting to play that piece in that room for me. The name of the album is Rhapsody in Blue. It drops today featuring new versions of George Gershwin's composition. It is from Bella Fleck. You're going to play us out. Okay. Bella, thank you so much for coming to the studio. Hey, my pleasure.
That was Bella Fleck. His new album, Rhapsody in Blue, is out today on the 100th anniversary of Gershwin's original composition. And in the spirit of adaptation and centennials, we're launching the 2024 edition of the Public Song Project today. Stick around for more info about this year's installment of the listener-sourced songbook. It'll happen near the end of the show today. You can find out how you can get involved alongside musicians like Bella Fleck. Or you can go right now to wnyc.org slash public song project. Coming up next, we'll dig deep into the legacy of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue with more musicians drawing on the composition for new projects.